and welcome to another episode of VMware Cloud on AWS Unplugged podcast. My name is Bill Roth. Today, our episode concerns business critical applications, as well as all things Oracle. And we have two special guests. The first is noted Oracle expert, staff architect in the cloud services BU, Sudhir Balasabramanian. Sudhir, welcome. Hi, hey guys. And also, we are graced by none other than the host of DrewTube himself, as well as Senior Director of Workloads in the Cloud Services BU, Drew Nielsen. Drew, welcome. Bill, great to be here. Let's start out, people are throwing around this concept of business-critical applications. And so, Sudhir, what do you see as the three requirements or the four or five requirements of what it takes to sort of run business critical applications. What do IT people think about? See, when we say BCA or business critical application, right, it doesn't really necessarily have to be the Oracle workloads or the SQL Server workloads. It's essentially any application that's so critical for the business that essentially puts food on the table here, right? And for all of these business critical application or B workloads, Right. Some of the key requirements are, for example, availability right, or performance, uh, recoverability, the fact that you're able to scale up, you're able to scale out, you're able to add CPU on the fly or memory on the fly as and when, when the workloads up, right? the fact that you're able to provide security, which is very intrinsic to any workload, any business critical application workload. So these, in our minds, are some of the key, some of the key factors or some of the key requirements to run any business critical or, uh, workload, Oracle workload being no particular here. Excellent. As we talk about the kind of requirements around business critical applications, I used to summarize them in a previous job as the illities, availability, reliability, scalability, and so on. Talk to me about how you can address the business critical application requirements on the VMware hybrid cloud platform. I think a lot of it, Bill, has to do with you know managing your business critical applications as you need to. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can take advantage of on VMware Cloud on AWS, like resource maximization. You need to fully be able to have your Oracle workloads, be able to scale in real time, and also be able to right-size those workloads, as you often talk about on your within your economics practice. There's also enhanced availability. We see a lot of customers who struggle with DR and availability because DR is typically a CapEx expense, and moving those into the cloud platform allows you to convert that to an OpEx expense. You get predictable costs, but you also get an infrastructure upgrade in process. Also moving things out like dev test, also being able to rapidly provision and scale. So if you have to burst, I mean, we have a lot of retail customers that run Oracle and, you know, you get seasonality impacts of various rushes and things. And to just to be able to auto scale and burst into the cloud is a lot easier than having to provision that infrastructure. Also things like skill set. There are a lot of VI admins out there. There's also a lot of VMware certified professionals. You can leverage those skill sets and still get to the cloud to meet that cloud mandate that your organization may have. And in the end, it's really a discussion about a lower total cost of ownership. Cloud is driving a lot of price pressure on traditional infrastructure. And with VMware Cloud on AWS, we have the ability to give that to our Oracle customers. Excellent. So with regard to Oracle, I remember reading that there was a new strategic partnership with Oracle. And I know that kind of notion of Oracle licensing in VMware has been a fraught topic for at least a decade. And Sadir writes about this all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why he's here today. Absolutely. Um, What does this new strategic partnership mean? 
And what does it mean both for the cloud, uh, you know, and, and anything else as it relates to VMware? Essentially, as we could remember, right, on September 16, 2019, there was a new partnership that culminated between VMware and Oracle. Essentially, we had Larry Ellison, right, the uh, CEO of Oracle, up on the uh, keynote. I mean, he delivered the keynote session in the Oracle Open World in 2019. And essentially, right, the offshoot of that strategic alignment or the strategic partnership was, right, there were two outcomes of that. The very first one was the Oracle cloud VMware solution. That was the integrated cloud platform, right? That was the partnership between Oracle and VMware. And the second, which is in my mind, one of the most important the offshoot of the outcomes, the metaling node. So there was a change to the metaling node 249212.1, which is essentially, if I could say that, it's the mother of all support for running Oracle workloads on a VMware platform, right? The support agreement has changed to the fact that you know, the updated text reads, and I kind of quote verbatim, that Oracle customers with an active support contract and running supported versions of Oracle product will resistance from Oracle when running those products on a VMware virtualized environment. And there used to be a clause in that. They used to say, well, if there was an issue, well, that you know, that that particular workload had to be replicated on another physical architecture. And if we, would, if we could replicate that, then Oracle would take ownership of the SR. Now, that particular paragraph has gone simply because of the fact that Oracle is a BCPP partner. It's part of the VMware Cloud Partner Program, right? And so, other key thing to keep in mind, essentially, people are a bit confused when they start reading about this, you know, the meddling note that this support policy, that has nothing to do with the Oracle licensing laws. Right. This is completely about the new support agreement between Oracle and VMware. And this has got nothing to do with the way Oracle workloads are licensed on a VMware platform. That's an important point. Good. Thanks for yep. straightening that out. Because, uh, But the, the short answer, I think, out of all this is that VMware customers or joint VMware customers will get support uh, Absolutely. in the virtualized environment, which is a really solid thing. And we'll try to make sure we get that Metalink URL into the show notes. Absolutely. I mean, we always had the support from the Oracle team. I mean, there's a very good synergy between the VMware GSS and the Oracle TSE, and that's been there since November 10th, uh, 2010. I mean, that's always been there. This is essentially to the next level, right? And enhancing the support and saying there is no ambiguity in this support between Oracle and VMware, and that's the beauty of it. Okay, so let's talk about, you know, we talked about hybrid. We've talked about some sort of high-level stuff. I'll throw this out to both of you whoever wants to take it, who, how can customers use VMC on AWS for their Oracle workloads? How, how does this work on the cloud? Uh, talk about things like data center extension, DR, cloud migration. What, what, talk about VMC specifically in Oracle workloads and how those play together. From an Oracle perspective, I mean, it works like a lot of our customers use VMC on AWS. I mean, Bill, and you've kind of named them off. I mean, disaster recovery is where a lot of our customers start. And this really allows customers not to have that CapEx expense and maintain a secondary physical site. And they can scale those Oracle workloads from storage and compute into VMC on AWS and be able to recover or have the level of availability they want. They want to take advantage of like the VMware site recovery service for replication and orchestration. They can do that in VMC on AWS. Or they could also use more traditional methods in DR of like DataGuard or Golden Gate. For the customers that want to go a little bit further, we have data center extension. And that's essentially using the public cloud for on-demand capacity for those Oracle workloads. But also, like we talked about before, running things like dev test. And really, it's a seamless expansion for any seasonal compute workloads or say like VDI and published apps that may be using Oracle. And you can actually have those co-located 
in the necessary regions for any data gravity types of scenarios. And then you have cloud migration for those customers that don't want to have a physical data center. They are migrating their Oracle workloads into VMC on AWS, whether that's databases or the apps themselves. And that really gives them an ability to get on next generation hardware and possibly even refresh their Oracle implementations because they are running on a modern infrastructure in the cloud. And for those customers that have landed in VMC on AWS and they're using it, it gives them the opportunity to access AWS services so that they can actually modernize their applications with something that they wouldn't be able to do in their data center. So for things like Oracle and any of the business critical apps for that matter, it's really taking those apps to the next level. It's really up to the customer depending on do they want to start small with DR or do they want to go full on out for a migration and an app modernization thing? So let's be specific about what or, what Oracle solutions is probably for Sudir. What Oracle solutions uh, can you run? On? That ESXi is not a para-virtualized hypervisor, right? It's com- transparent and completely seamless for the applications and that we don't wrap any x86 instructions coming from the top. So which means we basically can run every application seamlessly on a VMware platform. Interesting. So I know Oracle licensing costs are always an issue. Oracle... Uh, does, shall we say, try to optimize its revenue. Talk to me about the changes in Oracle licensing costs that have happened recently. Yes, essentially from a VMware Cloud on AWS perspective, what happened was on September 10th, 2018, right? Essentially when we first released product, right? We had the SDDC cluster could go from three to 16, but now what we said was we had a feature which is essentially the reduced server count, right? So you could go with a minimum of three hosts, go to a 16 host per SDDC cluster. What also happened in 2019, we came up with a feature called the custom CPU core count, right? And that is from the second cluster onwards. Essentially what happens is if it's an i3 cluster, or let's say if it's an i3 EN or an R5 cluster, right, one could go as low as 8, 16, or 36 cores per server. And for the R5, basically 8, 16, or 48 cores per server. And this was solely and wholly done for the Oracle licensing purposes. So a customer not necessarily have to go with the two socket 18 cores, right, which is essentially 36 cores in total. One could go as low as eight. And what happens is at time of provisioning the SDDC cluster, you have an option, right, of picking the number of cores per server. And that policy is assigned or that is applicable to all of the hosts in that cluster when it is uh, uh, when it is assigned or when it is provisioned. So that way you are now able to take care of, let's say, reducing the number of servers in the SDDC cluster and also reducing the number of cores per server in the SDDC cloud is directly proportional to the Oracle licensing, especially for enterprise edition. Because when you start looking at SE2, which stands for standard edition two, you're now licensed for sockets. But when you're licensing for enterprise edition, you're licensed by the number of physical codes, and that's expensive. I mean, tack on to that, the fact that you have Oracle options like Rack or let's say the active data card or compression, that drives the bill high, right? It becomes a very expensive option. So this was solely and wholly to enable customers to reduce their Oracle licensing cost. Excellent. So um, what we'll do is, uh, as Drew mentioned, you have uh, written a ton on this. There's a couple of solid links that we'll add to the show notes. Where can customers in the field, where do they go for all things Oracle? Where's the best place if you want to understand the intersection of Oracle, VMware, VMware Cloud, where should they go? You should definitely go to the VMware Oracle one-stop shop. So if you Google Oracle one-stop shop, you will find the definitive VMware guide for all things Oracle. This is maintained by Sidir. He's done an excellent job with it. It is absolutely comprehensive. I have even heard that uh, some of our competitors have gone there. So if any of you are listening to this public podcast, 
Go check out the Oracle One Stop Shop. That's where you can find anything that you would need. Oracle One Stop Shop. I think the happens to be a solid blog that you'll get from blogs.vmware.com. And again, we'll include that in the show notes. And it is enormously, some would say almost gargantuanly uh, complete. So <laughs> there's a lot out there. <laughs> there's, and there's also a lot to write about. That's about all for our time today. So I want to thank Sudhir and Drew for spending time with us. Thank you both. And this is Bill Ross. It has been another episode of VMware Cloud on AWS Unplugged. Our producer is Sonali Desai. Our executive producer, Mr. Ivan Oprinchuk, with moral and philosophical support from Mr. Robert Allen Zimmerman. So for Sudhir and Drew, this is Bill Roth. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next time.